Hello and welcome to the Good News Doctor podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mark Dubrinkit, and today I am very excited to have a returning guest, a good friend of mine, Bob Long, who is the founder of My Body RX and co founder and CEO of Microvascular Health Solutions, and you guessed it, the GlycoCheck. We were so excited to have him on last year as we learned all about this camera that assessed our microvascular health, and we've been able to track people's health over this entire last year. Now with us today also, all the way from the Netherlands, is Dr. Hans Vink. He is the co-founder and chief science officer of Microvascular Health Solutions. He has spent over 30 years doing clinical research finding and identifying and being able to allow us to see the true function of that glycocalyx. He has published over 87 scholarly papers and has been cited in over 12,000 papers worldwide. He holds multiple patents issued for the glycocheck and the endocalyx, and it is truly my honor and privilege to have both of these gentlemen here today. So thank you for joining us, and I look forward to what we're about to talk about. Thank you guys, I really appreciate you joining me today on the show. Bob, it's been a year since you've been on our podcast, and we've had so many great reviews of our podcast and sharing basically the story of you two gentlemen and your history in creating the GlycoCheck machine and the My Body RX products, and then joining forces together and really coming out with an amazing package that's truly going to change the planet. Now, a year ago, we were in a soft launch phase, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the doctors that could have this amazing technology in my practice. And so we've seen hundreds of patients over the last year, and we're able to scan them with that GlycoCheck. And much to my surprise, some of the patients that I thought were going to be the healthy ones with the highest scores because they look good on the outside and they're active, but ended up having some stuff going on inside and, and a very poor score as a result. And then other patients that I would think would get poor scores actually scored average or maybe even a little above average. So it truly is amazing that it's not just how you look on the outside and how you might feel yourself. Let's face it, the first sign of heart disease is sudden death 70% of the time. And I'm betting they felt pretty good that morning before they had a heart attack and died. And so I feel so honored that for the first time we have technology now that we don't have to just be a ticking time bomb in the background saying, I, I hope I don't have a heart attack this year and not really knowing our true risks. Are we functioning at the capillary level to a degree that we shouldn't have to worry so much about some unintended side effect of a cardiovascular event? Or should we be concerned that I'm fortunate that I'm still alive after all the things that we've all been through. And I better do something about this because that picture is not looking good. So we basically have a thermostat now that kind of measures exactly where we're at. And, and this has been validated time and time again. We've published so many studies and it really is exciting that it's about to finally be launched to the public and so many doctors that have been waiting are about to have their dreams come true. I know we've all lost a lot of sleep waiting and waiting to get these in their hands. And there's so many patients that are just dying to 
get a hold of their scan to know truly where they're at. So since the last time you were on, we have, uh, to my count, I've seen just on the GlycoCheck technology, uh, published over 12 studies now have been released in the last year. And so I wanted to take today's episode and talk about some of those highlights, because we are in a situation that COVID has changed so many people's lives, and we really don't know what's been going on and the kind of damage and the things that we're seeing. But you know, this platform, we're happy to tell you exactly what we're seeing and what you've published. I know we've had a few things come out in that category. So, you know, let's talk about these latest studies that are coming out. This is so exciting because I know it takes so much money and so many years to complete one of these, let alone finally be able to get it published. So I know that this is great to see so many come out in the same year, uh, but I know that that took years to get to this point. And we appreciate how much hard work you've all put into making that a reality. What was some of the highlights of the best, best studies that you've been waiting for that have come out? And maybe you can share some of that with the audience. Yeah, maybe I'll just make a few comments and I'll turn it over to Hans and we're prepared to kind of give you a quick overview of the studies that we've been able to publish. But as you mentioned, a lot of these studies have been uh, in the works for a number of years. And, um, you know, sometimes you get impatient waiting for the science, but you know, these are all conducted by third parties that have purchased uh, glycochecks in academic research settings. It's been very interesting to be involved in these studies and see the outcomes and quite honestly, see the, the thesis or the hypothesis that we had, uh, we, we believed would happen, but to see it actually come true and see how impactful the glycocheck is and how uh, meaningful it is in letting researchers for the first time uncover new horizons at the microvascular and particularly at the glycocalyx level. It's really making what I'd say some big breakthroughs in changing the paradigm of what's happening in not only the progression of conditions, but the evolution of those into full-blown disease states. And so, I'll turn it over to Hans. We've got quite a variety of uh, topics to talk about today, but uh, Hans has done a really great job of working with uh, these researchers and uh, on some of the papers, he's a co-author, some he's not, but we're in over 150 academic research hospitals now. And so we've got uh, a lot of studies going on. I estimated the other day, I just trying to go back and figure out how much money had probably been invested uh, in GlycoCheck and the studies up until this is about two months ago and came up with a number, it's about $39 million. So it's a significant amount of money. And in addition to that, there's millions of dollars of ongoing research that's happening right now across pretty much most diseases or conditions you can think about in the body. So. I thought I'm going to turn over to Hans and he's prepared some slides and we'll give a quick overview of the studies. Well, good evening, Mark. Good to see you again. Yes, um, well, One of the studies that was really exciting also to me, exactly what you were mentioning, those people that look good on the outside and then suddenly someone gets a heart attack. Like nobody saw it coming. 
Um, so one of the studies that was missing in the long list of papers that we have published was a study that looked uh, ahead in time, a prospective study, just looking at healthy people that look healthy on the outside, have no cardiovascular issues, then measure them with the glycocheck device, and then keep tracking them over a period of seven years and to see what happens to these individuals and whether they would get a heart attack or a stroke or they would suddenly drop that because of a cardiovascular event, whether those individuals that get all these problems, could we predict that at an earlier stage with the glycocheck device? So we followed up uh, on, on, on dozens of individuals for a period of more than seven years and to see what happened to these individuals. And it turns out the measurement with the glycocheck and specifically measuring the damage levels to their glycocalyx at seven years ago could predict very, very powerful who would get a heart attack or a stroke in that seven years. So having a bad score with your glycocheck and have a bad PBR score, a high PBR value, so a lot of damage to your glycocalyx um, increases your risk of a heart attack or a stroke by more than fivefold. So, you know, of the uh, 60 or so people that got a problem out of the 600 people that we followed, we could actually predict 55 or 56 of them based on the earlier glycocheck measurement. So wow. I can pull up one slide to illustrate how powerful it is relative to other risk factors. Let me pull it up right now. And this slide shows, and the horizontal axis is the relative risk of getting uh, a heart attack or a stroke relative to the people, uh, so people with a bad glycocalyx score with their glycocheck relative to the ones that had a good score with a glycocheck. So the, the bottom parameter is that PBR value that tells you if you have a damaged glycocalyx or not. So if you look at the individuals, with a PBR value higher than 2.1 microns, so the highest PBR values and the highest level of glycocalyx damage, those individuals over the course of seven years had a five-fold increase um, of getting a stroke or heart attack compared to the ones that had a, a PBR value lower than 2.1. So just measuring PBR as a measure of glycocalyx damage is a very powerful predictor. And it's even more powerful than whether these individuals had diabetes, for instance. We know diabetes is a risk factor and people with diabetes can get a heart attack, uh, but knowing your glycocheck score is even more important than knowing whether you're a diabetic or not. Same for a family history. So some families have higher risks because of genetics, of getting a heart attack um, or using ACE inhibitors for blood pressure or using lipid lowering agents to control your cholesterol um, you know, doing the measurement with the glycocheck was even the most powerful tool we had to predict the risk of these individuals. So I think that was, that was an important part of science that was missing. And we have been doing a lot of studies in patients showing over and over again uh, that you know, patient groups uh, you know, with increased cardiovascular risk have a damaged microvasculature and a damaged glycocalyx. And I have a few more that we added to that list. I'll show you a little bit later, but that actually confirms what we always think. All these diseases have some cardiovascular or microvascular component, but these were all healthy individuals that didn't have any cardiovascular problems when we did those measurements. And even at that stage, when they are completely feeling perfectly healthy, no signs of any other problem, uh, we could predict seven years in advance uh, who's going to get a heart attack down the road.
So I think that was, that was an important new study that came out only a few months ago. You know, and, and just to talk about one of the things you said there, healthy individuals, we've taken glycocheck scans on all age patients. And just because you're younger doesn't mean that you're going to have a higher score. We have children that have very poor scores. Some of them have very high scores and they probably don't even eat the greatest and have the great lifestyle, but uh, you know, they have good functioning you know, systems like we would expect. But nowadays more than ever, there's just too many things that are um, attacking our microvascular system. And we're seeing kids with all ages start to be compromised and showing a poor score. So, um, I mean, this technology couldn't come at a better time when we have so many things right now that are directly attacking our glycocalyx and we can see that happening. If we didn't have this technology, we just wondered why everybody's sick and can't heal from the inside out and why we're not getting better. You know, this is, this is just so exciting to be able to see this and know where we stand. Again, it gives us hope again, that peace of mind that we know how and, to take you know, that and then do things to help fix it. In, in, in that line of challenging, challenges that people are facing, as you mentioned, obviously uh, COVID was a big challenge over the past few years, uh, hitting young people, hitting older people. That's right. So it's no surprise that we kept on working on different studies involving COVID patients. Mm -hmm. So I think already last year, we saw, showed some preliminary data of critically ill patients in the ICU, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. showing that those patients have a very severely compromised microcirculation. And the sicker the patients are, uh, the more loss of their capillaries, up to 95% of their capillaries were lost, uh, greatly damaged their glycocalyx, very high PBR values. And as a result, the microvascular scores were you know, close to zero, you know, between zero and one, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, extremely low scores that correlated with outcome. So the lower the score, uh, the more likely these individuals would not survive their stay in the ICU. Over the past year, we have doing, I've been doing a lot of follow-ups. So we did additional tests. So first we developed a new test, taking blood samples from um, different kinds of patients, including COVID patients, and did a, uh, what we call a proteomic study. So we measured a lot of different proteins in that blood sample. And then we compared the concentrations of different proteins with the different parameters that we can measure with the glycocheck device. So we looked at proteins that correlate with PBR. So the higher the protein concentration, the more damaged your glycocalyx is. Uh, at the same time, we also find proteins that correlate negatively with PBR. So the higher those proteins, the, the lower your PBR or the, the more healthy your glycocalyx is. And at the same time, we measured correlations between proteins and capillary density. So some proteins are very high when capillary density is high, and some proteins are very low when you have a very poor capillary density. And based on those profiling studies, we identified certain proteins that correlate with glycocalyx breakdown and capillary loss. And we identified some proteins that correlate with the healthy glycocalyx and, and the higher capillary densities. And based on the good proteins, compared with the bad proteins, we can come up with a proteomic signature that reflects the parameters that we also can measure with the glycocheck device. Um, and the exciting part of that study 
is that even in older studies in which we only collected blood samples where no glycogen devices were present, we can still measure that proteomic signature. We know that correlates with the glycocheck measurements. Um, and so retrospectively, we could analyze microvascular and glycocalyx health in all kinds of patient groups that had blood samples taken. Um, and those blood samples analysis now for the first time show really strong uh, evidence for microvascular damage uh, in these patients. There was no other tool uh, that we could use to identify whether there's microvascular or glycocalyx damage in these patients. And then again, those data strongly uh, show correlations between that level of signature, uh, a good score or a negative score, and outcome and risk in these individuals. So I have a couple of slides on, on that study too, if I can show you in a minute. And also uh, following up on those studies, we also were following up on the patients that recovered from COVID. So we looked at patients a year after they recovered from COVID, um, and more recently, we followed up on two years, even two years after recovering from COVID to see uh, what their level of microvascular damage is. If it's they recovering, um, if the damage stays present. So what's happening to these individuals that many of them start complaining of long-term, long-haul COVID uh, complications. They are tired, they have more issues with the heart or the brain or kidney. Um, so many of these individuals that kept complaining of issues were also measured even two years after recovering from, from COVID. And then we got some data to show what's happening to their microcirculation. So let me show you a few of those slides also. Sure, thank you. So first to uh, refresh our memories, this is the data I probably showed already a year ago that was really new about a year ago. These were measurements done with the glycocheck device in COVID patients. Uh, we had two subgroups of COVID patients. Both were in the ICU. Some are without mechanical ventilation, so they can breathe on themselves. Uh, some were really sick and needed mechanical ventilation to keep breathing. And in the right panel, it shows you the impact of the COVID on the numbers of capillaries in these different individuals. So the red bars are from the COVID patients that needed mechanical ventilation to be really sick. And it shows you from left to right, the change in the numbers of the smallest capillaries and also some larger vessels, but especially the smallest capillaries, the four and the five micron capillaries, they were almost all of them were damaged or gone in the critically ill COVID patients. Up to 95% of their capillaries were uh, gone and disappeared. So explaining a lot of the problems that these individuals have, because if you don't have capillaries, you cannot take your oxygen and your nutrients to your brain or to your heart or to your kidney, and you can get all kinds of issues. While this is uh, again showing some results of that initial study, in addition to the loss of capillaries shown here in the middle panel, on the lower left, it shows you the level of glycogalic damage. So glycocalyx damage is really high in the COVID patients and the highest that level of damage we found in the COVID patients that needed mechanical ventilation. So combining the loss of capillaries with the huge level of glycocalyx damage, uh, you see that the microvascular score, which combines both parameters, um, is really, really poor in the critically ill COVID patients on mechanical ventilation. So scores between zero and one. And then again, we showed also at that time that uh, these 
four scores correlate with outcome. So if you look at the you know, relatively healthy individuals with the PBR values uh, uh, smaller than 2.3, so relatively healthy because they're all sick in the ICU, all the ones with the lowest PBR values or the, the relatively healthiest glycocalyxes, they all survive their stay in the ICU. So this is a survival curve shows you what percentage of the individual survived during their stays in the ICU. So we did a two month follow-up to see how they were doing. Um, and the ones that had a relatively healthy glycocalyx, they all survived. There's a hundred percent survival of these individuals. Well, in contrast, if you look at the individuals with a higher PBR value, so with the highest level of glycocalyx damage, you see the longer they stay in the ICU, the smaller their chance of survival is of these individuals getting out of the ICU alive. So we knew that a year ago. And then we did the follow-up study, like the one I explained on the proteomics. So what this graph shows on the top left is the PBR value as we measured it with the glycocheck device. Um, and then from left to right are the different proteins that we measured in blood samples and measured how they correlate with PBR. So on the right-hand side, the high green bars are proteins that have high concentrations when PBR is high. So they reflect glycocalyx damage. And on the left, you see the yellow ones are proteins that correlate negatively with PBR, which means if you have a high concentration of this protein, your PBR value is low and you have a healthy glycocalyx. So green is bad and yellow is good. Well, same for the other parameter that we can measure with the glycocheck device, capillary density. So we have proteins that correlate positively, good proteins with capillary density. So uh, this one on the right, a high concentration of these proteins correlate with the high capillary density, which is again is good. And on the left, some of the green proteins, they correlate negatively with capillary density. So if the concentration of these proteins is high, it means that your capillary density is very low. If a lot of damage to your microvasculature. Now if we zoom in a little bit, to the ones here on the left, you see their individual proteins, and we can select the ones that uh, uh, show the best correlations with a healthy glycocalyx or the best correlations with a damaged glycocalyx based on PBR, and the same for capillary density. And then we came up with this protein signature. So the healthy proteins that show that correlate with increased capillary density and a healthy glycocalyx are on top, divided by the uh, risk proteins that show damage to your glycocalyx and damage to your capillary density. And that gives you a number, the protein signature. Um, and that number on the lower right shows that healthy individuals have a high number uh, ranging again, uh, uh, about seven or eight. And then people um, in the ICU or with COVID have extremely low uh, protein signatures reflecting poor glycocalyx and poor microcirculation. And then again, if we do some more studies on these same individuals with the protein signature, it shows, for instance, that that protein signature as a measure for you know, microvascular health uh, declines significantly in the ones that have all kinds of clotting problems. So D-dimers are measured as a measure for clotting issues. So the higher your D-dimer number, the more clotting problems you have. And we see that those individuals with a compromised microcirculation 
and a lot of damage to the glycocalyptin capillaries are also the ones that have a lot of clotting issues. Similarly, we see that uh, if we look at people that need oxygen or without oxygen in the ICU, or that need intubation or people that die, so the more complications they have, that also correlates with a poor protein signature or a poor microvascular health. And same here, just compare whether they need to be intubated or would die is a very strong correlation with that microvascular proteomic signature. So that again confirms that, you know, using the glycocheck, you can get these sophisticated protein panels to in more detail study microvascular health in different patients. And again, confirming that the ones with the poor microvascular health and a lot of glycocalyx damage, also the same ones that get all these complications. They need to be intubated, they die, they have clotting problems. It all correlates again with poor microvascular health. Well, then again, as I mentioned, uh, uh, the initial follow-up uh, was done on COVID patients that recovered from COVID. Um, and this is 12 months after they recover. And we again measure their PBR. So on the left is a healthy PBR value for controls, uh, an increased PBR value uh, when they were in the hospital. They were not in the ICU, but they were infected, had a, a, a higher increase in PBR value, so damaged glycocalyx. But the same individuals, uh, although some of their uh, functions improved, you see glycocalyx damage was still present or even increased 12 months after they recovered from COVID. And more recently, we did a follow-up after two years. Um, and these are data from that study that are just collected and the paper is just submitted. Um, and as we did before, we measured capillary density, for instance, on the top right. And we see on the left, a high capillary density in healthy controls. On the right-hand side, a low capillary density of the COVID patients that needed to go to the hospital. But even after almost two years, people with long-haul COVID problems still are halfway in between the extremely low capillary density they had and a normal level of glycocalyx in healthy individuals. Well, the hopeful thing is if you look at PBR, PBR seems to be recovered after two years. So on the lower left, we see on the right-hand side an increased PBR value uh, when they had COVID. And two years after recovering, their PBR values appear to be normalized. Then again, if you combine the drop in capillary density with their PBR values in an overall microvascular health score, you can still see that the long-haul COVID patients, even after two years, have a very low score. They're not, any, not below one anymore, but they're in the two-ish range compared to the five-ish range where they should have been. Um, so they still are doing pretty bad. Well, on top of that, you, know, you may remember that in addition to capillary density, and PBR for glycocalyx damage, we also measure something called the capillary recruitment capacity uh, that shows how dynamic your capillary number changes up and down, the blood flow goes up and down into responding to all kinds of challenges. Uh, on the lower right, it shows that you know, the green bar again shows a normal healthy recruitment capacity of about 70 to 80%, and that dropped down to you know, close to 10% uh, in the uh, COVID patient, but still, in the long haul COVID patient, there's only 20%. So they have a lower number of capillaries and also that number is not dynamically responding to the level of blood flow. So it's okay at resting conditions, but as soon as they start exercising, they have an issue because maybe blood flow goes up, 
but there's no increase in the number of capillaries that are taking the nutrients from the blood to their tissues. And then just to finish this part, this shows you um, uh, how the capillary density on the lower right and also the microvascular score, how that changed over time uh, measured as the days after their COVID-19 infection. What this shows is that even over no more than 600 days, so two years after they recovered from COVID, their microvascular score didn't increase. So it stayed, the normal microvascular score is up there somewhere in the five or six range. Um, their scores dropped down, these individuals, uh, they were not taken to the ICU, but they had COVID, then their scores dropped down to the two-ish three range. But even two years after they recovered from COVID, their scores are still low. Same for capillary density. A normal healthy capillary density is in the 80 to 100 range. They took a bit, big hit because of COVID, uh, but even two years after they recover, their capillary densities are still low. And even more surprising, there's really no difference between the ones that were not so sick and stayed at home when they had COVID or needed to be hospitalized. Their microvascular scores are both low um, and didn't change over time. And also in terms of density, there's no really a difference between uh, the severity of the acute onset of the infection of COVID and, and, and how they follow up over time. So they, all, they could all get a hit and, and that hit stays present and not by itself, not curing by itself. So that's you know, some serious warnings that we see now. So we knew that COVID was bad and damaged a lot of the microvasculature, but the surprising thing is it doesn't cure by itself. A lot of people that got a lot of damage still have a lot of damage years after they were infected. So that makes us wonder what can we do to help these individuals to uh, get better faster. I can imagine at the, at the one year mark, when you're seeing that their scores still haven't gotten up, we replace all of our vascular tissue every six months, you have a whole new system, except for the stuff that's stuck on the inside, that'll stay there. And so you replace your vascular system twice already in a year, and we didn't bounce back just by default, like you're saying. Then we look at two years, and we're still kind of stuck in that pattern of poor vascular function. Recruitment capacity is not coming back or just your, your ability to move the blood and do what you need to do to get these tissues to be healthier. It's just not functioning. So I mean, we're so fortunate that we actually do have the solution and we'll talk all about that on our next episode and what we've seen with the studies behind um, you know, the nutraceutical that's actually going to assist in people to reboot and regrow that lining, you know, and hopefully push that damage off the surface of our glycocalyx so our glycocalyx can do what it's supposed to do. You know, so I think this COVID is a, is a nasty virus and its ability to attack into that glycocalyx, which is supposed to be our Teflon coating and protect it and not stick to it. And now all of a sudden we're seeing something that found a way to stick to it and create all these vascular problems Again, I can't say how appropriate it is to have this at this time in our lives to be able to see what's happening and try to put our shields up and defend against it and figure out a way to regrow the, the turf and, and get that turf strong again so it doesn't continue to, to you know, be worn out. Thanks for sharing that, Hans. That was very insightful. We knew 
when we first started to see what happened with COVID that it was, we suspected almost immediately the impact it would have on the glycocalyx and microcirculation. And so we were able to pivot uh, because of the global pandemic, we were able to pivot on some studies that we were doing that we were had ongoing in sepsis. And uh, we already had some groups that were running sepsis studies and they pivoted to not only continue to do the sepsis, but then they added the COVID-19. And that's what led to a lot of this data that Hans was just able to share with you. But the thing that shocked us early was the degree of damage is almost at the same magnitude or worse as sepsis. COVID-19 is just as perplexing as sepsis is. And so good news is uh, this data that Hans showed you has led to the discussion of, so what do we do about it? But you see lots of papers or lots of articles in the newspaper now talking about you know, they estimate that 60% of the people that have recovered from COVID are still uh, having what they call long haul COVID symptoms. And so the medical community is really perplexed because there doesn't seem to be a way to measure what's the damage and number two, so what do we do about it? We're really grateful we were able to get on the forefront of this and come up with these markers and identify and we can see with the glyco check the amount of damage that's happened to these patients. I just um, tested a friend of mine yesterday. He's a guy we've treated for a number of years. Um, we helped him restore some of his kidney function and then he got COVID in the last year and he came in and sure enough, his microvascular health score has the same signature of long haul COVID patients, his PBR is okay, just exactly what Han showed you, but his microvascular density on the needles, they're all over the four, five, and six. They're all over in the red zone, um, which is a perfect manifestation and confirmation of all the patients we've been measuring. We, you can immediately tell the damage that was done by the COVID-19. And the other great thing is these research groups that we're working with, we've worked quickly with them and we've gotten uh, IRBs approved. And now we've moved to full-blown double-blind placebo clinical trials. And so the first one uh, is just ready to start. It's all approved. Uh, one of the groups that Hans was sharing some numbers with and uh, it's starting. And, We've got another group that's starting as well. The good news is we think we can get those studies done quickly and get the results out. Well, you know, I love good news. Every time I hear you say that, my ears perk up. Well, and I know um, we're not today not talking about the results of the studies uh, with the therapeutic endocalyx. Uh, um, and the larger clinical trials are still about to start doing follow-ups. But I can just say we have some very exciting data on um, studies on cultured uh, cells, cultured endothelial cells exposed to COVID patients' plasma, again, confirming a lot of damage. And then we have some very exciting results that we will show next time on what we can do to prevent a lot of that damage with the endocalyx supplements. So it's very exciting data. And that's a paper that just was recently also accepted and will be 
uh, out there in the public pretty soon. No, that's fantastic. Super excited for that. As we mentioned before, different diseases show all kinds of damage to glycocalyx. So we added two more studies uh, of uh, patients that we hadn't looked at before. And one study was on cancer patients. So different kinds of cancer, solid tumors or you know, tumors in the blood. Um, and then uh, you know, cancer is classified according to the severity of the disease in different stages, stage one, stage two, three, and four. Um, and the study that was just completed and published shows very significant correlations between the stage of the cancer and the level of microvascular damage. So people with stage three and four have significantly increased levels of microvascular and glycocalyx damage than patients at a much earlier stage. Um, and I'll just show one uh, graph to illustrate that also uh, to, to, to show what's shown in that paper. So this is a slide just showing you know, from left to right the different stages, um, one, two, three, and four of cancer. It's especially the three uh, stages three and four, their level of glycocalyx damage is significantly increased compared to the earlier stages. Um, and another study that just came out, I just want to mention, it's also for new information, confirming what we already thought, uh, was a study um, on uh, psoriasis. So it's a skin disease, but you know it has a lot of cardiovascular uh, damage also involved. And that's shown in this slide. On the left is level of glycocalyx damage that increases in the psoriasis patients compared to controls. And the right-hand side is the uh, microvascular density that drops to lower numbers in the patients with psoriasis compared to controls again. So again, confirming that all these diseases that appear to be all kinds of different causes of the problem, what they have in common very often is a lot of microvascular damage. Very exciting that we now are about to start several studies using the therapeutic to see if we can improve microvascular health, if we can also improve the outcome of these patients, not just as a side effect, see that their microvascular tissue is damaged, but hopefully also improve their condition and their health when we can improve their microvascular health from the inside out. Absolutely. I love pointing out the fact that we're healing from the inside out. Things that damage us and damage our cells happen from the outside in, and we can think that we're helping by you know, chasing symptoms in our life, but when we can really get to the root cause and help regrow better tissue from the inside out, better communication in our cells and let our, our, our vascular lining, our entire soccer field, surface field of our body's vascular lining that is really what's responsible for letting stuff in and, and through on top of protecting it and, and, you know, causing the motion and all of that. But that lining is just so critical. And I think that now that we can see it and we can see the damage and obviously it's all correlated back to so many diseases that you spent your entire career proving that this all lines up. And just like you just showed us in that cancer study, you would think that the further along they progress in their disease of whatever type of cancer it is, that they'd be more compromised. And to have that validated too, you know, it all goes back to life is in the blood. And so now we can just see behind the curtain of everything that we, some people don't want to see that poor score, because that means they immediately need to start changing some lifestyle things. But hey, if we want to live 
and live a long, healthy life and actually be in control of our faculties and our abilities and our life, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to be able to do the things that are relating back to the principles in life. And we find things that can enhance the principle of circulation, absorption. These are things that we all have to do, whether you think about it or not, it's happening. And when we can improve that and then track that, you know, I know that when I first started, I thought I was going to be healthier than I was because my first scan, I had already been on a double dose of the therapeutic for two and a half months. And so, but my first score was still like a 3.8. And so a few months in, I was up to 4.2. Then I got COVID and I actually triple dosed for a few weeks and I went to a 4.3. Um, but I was back to a 3.9. And then next thing you know, I finally, eight months later, got back up to over a seven. So it just, it took me a bit. And here I'm thinking that I was way healthier than my score was. I was one of those that thought I've been working too hard and eating too clean for too many years to, to like have a really bad score. But hey, heart disease did run in my family. And I had a heart attack four years ago. And I've been working on reversing some of these major plaque I still had. And now I finally have. And now... I don't have to worry about my wife being a widow at any time because I could drop dead of another heart attack. I feel really confident in having scores over 7.0 myself that I'm going to be around for a little bit, you know. For well, that's, that's great to hear, Mark. You know, uh, it's, you know, uh, you don't want to think about what might have happened if you were not taking endocalyx. And your yeah. scores would get dropping down uh, below that three value. And it's good to hear you're back up again and uh, have higher scores than ever. Yeah. Uh, it's good to hear you're doing much better than most people you know, recovering from COVID. Well, it didn't happen by default. I've been working really hard. I've been very consistent with my nutraceuticals because I know that they play the key piece of that building block of me being able to get to that point. So I just feel so blessed that I've learned about all of this, that I've met the two of you and that together we're all gonna change the world in, in such amazing ways. And to be able to open up this platform and let people know that there is technology that's so amazing that each and every one of you watching this call could have in your practice. Uh, they've made the platform an easy um, ability to onboard yourself and to be up and running within a day and be able to start really making this impact in your patients' lives. And, you know, we've seen so many different types of practitioners that are really migrating towards this technology from cardiologists, which surprised me for a minute because I would think that the cardiologists want to do more surgeries, but, you know, we've found hundreds of them that are all about results and they want their patients to live long, healthy lives. And, and uh, so there's a big cardiology presence. We have functional medicine, we have oncologists, we have chiropractors, we have physical therapists, we have general practitioners. We're having so many doctors of all different types really migrate to this because they can really help the patient know risk factors for everything, but it really helps them, you know, understand um, what they need to do to get out of the crisis that they're in. And it all goes back to blood flow and bringing life in the blood to the tissues. And so, so many different doctors 
appreciate the fact that we can get this glimpse inside our bodies and get that peace of mind of knowing that, you know, if it's not a great score, at least you're going to help put me on the path to get that score better. And I know that I can come back and get rescanned uh, to validate the, the outcome that we're all looking for. So this was a fantastic episode. I thank you guys so much. Uh, for joining us today. And I look forward to our next episode when we get into how do we fix it, right? We can take all this data and it's so exciting to make all the correlations and know our risk. But at the end of the day, we all want to get our scores up into the green above a 7.0. And we want to be able to have a whole planet of healthy, healthy functioning people that really love and, uh, and care about each other and aren't afraid to help lift the ones up that are sick, that haven't heard about this um, through whatever channels. But I feel in a very short period of time, this machine will be a household name. Everybody will just know that we need to go at least yearly. Uh, I prefer my patients get checked quarterly so we can check. And sometimes if they're real critical, we might even take a look even sooner than that. Um, but you know, like anything, if you know where you're at, you know where you're going. And, the choices that you've made in the past have all led up to exactly where you're at now. <laughs> so if you don't get a good health score, maybe we need to do something a little bit different, you know, to have a different outcome in the past. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to leave our, uh, our viewers with today? We've had a keen interest in correlating the results that we get with microvascular function and the glycocheck to known scores and then we've also been looking to find other blood markers that we could create additional markers to give us further insight, not only into what causes breakdown, how much of that's in the blood uh, or what makes it stronger and what of that's in the blood. So this is, this is on the cutting edge of the frontier to find blood tests that aren't even being done right now. These are only being done in a research setting. Wow, that's awesome.